You hear me sometimes talk about wrestling with God's Word. And I wonder if some of you are out there thinking, what does he mean by wrestling with God's Word? I wanted to explain that. When you read a passage in the Scripture that doesn't make sense to you, you don't quite understand it, it's unclear, maybe you don't even agree with it. I would challenge you not just to take that passage and just, oh, well, I don't understand it, throw it away. Take it and wrestle with it. Wrestle with it by examining other scriptures. Scripture interprets itself. Pray about it. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you guidance into what that passage means. And then ask people. Ask, ask other, other believers who may understand what that passage communicates. I've had to do that a lot myself. Get into some commentaries. You know, you can't trust all of them, but there are some good commentaries out there where God will give you some wisdom through those folks. So cultural Christianity teaches that all humanity are children of God. We're all inherently good. Is that how God really sees us? What is the human condition before a person is saved? Is there anything good in us? Can't we simply work harder to be a better person and earn God's approval? Well, Ephesians chapter 2 answers these questions, and it confronts many of the myths of cultural Christianity. These myths that tell us we are inherently good. We just simply make wrong choices. So if you have your Bible, open to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 3 through 8, and then we're going to read Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. And if you studied this week the whole chapter of Ephesians, like several of you did, or the whole second chapter of Ephesians, like several of you did, um, at the end of service, I'm going to, tell you what we're going to do with that and how we're going to study next week. So would you stand with me in the reading of God's word? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Now let's go over to chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them, at, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive when, with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. 
For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for amazing grace. And I pray that you'll give us that wisdom, that spiritual understanding to really get it in the depths of our soul that it wasn't anything that we deserved. No goodness on our own. You just did it because you loved us. You did it because you wanted a family. You chose us. Thank you. Please be here today and, you, and, and use this message in Jesus' name. Amen. So, last week we talked about that the believer's identity is found in being a child of God, that God sovereignly rules all things. And in his sovereignty, he had a plan that included us. He chose us as his children before the creation of the world, not because of anything that we would do or would become. He just simply loved us, and he redeemed us in Jesus Christ. He adopted us as his own, made us part of his family, holy and blameless. And then he tells us, he kind of gives us a little hint. He said this was for the praise of his glorious grace. He tells us he's going to use us to display his attribute. Well, in verses 1 through 3, Paul tells us that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Verses 1 through 2 says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. I want to ask you a question. This might sound kind of morbid. But do you remember the very first time when you went to a funeral and you saw somebody dead in a casket? I remember it. I was 10 years old and my dad died of cancer. And it was the first time that I had ever seen anybody dead in a casket. And when I walked into that funeral parlor and I looked at his body laying there, I mean, it was surreal. I went up and I touched his hand and it was stiff and cold and lifeless. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't process it in my mind that this person that I'd grown up with for 10 years, who we had, whom I loved deeply and we had experienced all these memories together, was now lying here in this, cax, in this casket and our relationship was completely cut off. He couldn't communicate with me anymore. He couldn't tell me he loved me anymore. He couldn't wrap his arms around me and give me a big hug. He couldn't hear me. I mean, I could have stood there and screamed at him, but he wouldn't have responded. He was dead. And there wasn't anything that was going to change that. You know, the Bible says that our condition before we're born again is we are spiritually dead. We're unable to relate to God. The relationship has been completely severed. And this is true because God is spirit. And when we relate to him, we must relate to him 
in our spirit, with our spirit. See, God created us in, a, in his own image and gave us a spirit to communicate with him, to commune with him. And our spirit is that medium. It's that part of us which interacts with God. Before, before the Bible says we become born again, we're physically alive, but we're spiritually dead. We cannot relate to the things of God. We cannot know God. We're dead. Absolutely helpless. Absolutely hopeless. This condition is impossible to change. We're dead. Dead people can't bring themselves back to life, right? See, we can do all kinds of things. We can come to church. We can be religious. We can even consider ourselves spiritual and attempt to be better people. But the bottom line is we're dead. And this is how God sees us. So what caused the death? Well, Paul tells us it was our transgressions and our sins. Sins meaning that we missed the mark. We missed the target of God's holy standards. That's what sin means. Transgressions talks about our rebellion. That we not only missed his mark, but we willingly chose to break his law. We enjoyed it. That's what kind of nature we had. The Bible says that we are entirely depraved. There's nothing good in us. We're like a decaying corpse that has this smell of death coming off from us. We're wicked, we're corrupt, we're perverted, we're selfish, we're proud, we're vicious. Before Jesus Christ, we are absolutely evil. It's not that we're, like cultural Christianity says, mostly good, but just we have a little bit of sin. We're entirely sinful. There is no good thing in us. So in other words, before we're born again, we're dead to the things of God, but we are very much so alive to our sinful passions. Paul says that we followed the world's influence and Satan. You know, and isn't this true? We see our culture doing this. People freely allow the anti-God culture to influence them. They allow Satan's influence to influence their thoughts, their character, they behave, their behavior, and then they enthusiastically believe it, right? They believe the lies. They imitate the holy lifestyles. Before we were born again, we set ourselves up as God, seeking to please ourselves and making ourselves the king. We stubbornly reject God's laws. We, we had no desire to submit to him. And like a dog returns to its vomit, we had an overwhelming attraction to filth. In fact, Paul puts it like this. Not only are you dead, you're not even in the right family. You're sons of disobedience. You're children of wrath. Like father, like son, right? 
Satan, the father of lies, that's who we are. Children of wrath. God's, uh, the default position of all humanity is under the wrath of God. That's who we were before Christ. This is, this is humbling, and it's very, it's hard to hear. But there is absolutely no good in us. Nothing good. See, biblical Christianity never teaches that all are children of God. All people are created by God. There's no doubt about that. But, first John, or, but John 3.3 3 says, you must be born again. And Paul tells us this is how we once walked, how we once lived. And he reminds us, though, that's not who we are anymore. Amen? We were brought to life. We were changed. We're redeemed sons and daughters. We used to follow the world and Satan and our sinful passions, but not anymore. We have a brand new nature. And this brings me to my first principle. Children of God no longer live according to their sinful nature. Children of God no longer live according to their sinful nature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. God put his own nature in us, his own desires, his heart, his thoughts, his purity. And now we're allowing him to control us, to lead us by the influence of his spirit. Now think back for a minute about the dead body in the coffin. That body feels comfortable in that coffin, right? That's where a dead body is supposed to be. It's supposed to be in the coffin. However, imagine if they buried that coffin and the person somehow came back to life. They would immediately feel suffocated. They would have this very, very intense urge to escape the coffin, to get out and leave it behind. See, when we were dead, we felt comfortable breaking God's law. Didn't even bother us. Didn't think a thing about it when we were spiritually dead. But the instant someone is born again, there is an intense urge to bust out of that coffin and to leave that life behind. And this morning, I want to ask you, are you born again? Because if you are, the Bible tells us, leave that old coffin behind. Get out of it. You have a new nature. God's own spirit is living inside of you. And he's got great plans for you. He wants to use you to do his work. Well, in verses, uh, in verses 4 through 8, God makes us alive in Jesus by grace and uses us to display grace. And this is a miracle. You know, we say all the time, grace is amazing. Well, this is why grace is amazing. I hope you see this this morning. 
when we were spiritually dead, when we had this unescapable tendency to sin, when we were born into the wrong family and a target of God's wrath, God intervened and took the initiative to bring us back to life. He came to us. You know, the, the, the thought popped into my head like Lazarus. He came to our tomb. He called us by name. He said, Jason, come forth. And I came out of that grave. He said, Troy, come forth. Branson, come forth. And we came out of that grave. Not because we ourselves decided, I think I'm going to follow Jesus. I think I'm going to be a Christian. No. The voice of the Savior woke you up. That's grace. That's grace. And why did he do it? Because of his great love, his rich mercy. All of the reasons for our reconciliation are totally in God, not in us. See, we had nothing to offer God. Remember, we, we had nothing good, nothing worth redeeming. We were children of wrath. But God did the inconceivable. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Now, it's easy to love people who love you back. But it's another thing to love a person who hates you. And you know what? We were God's enemies. Everything about us was against him. Yet he still chose to love us. In fact, instead of destroying us, he wrapped his arms around us. It said, you are my son. And Paul names this love. This is a very specific kind of love. It's a divine love. And he calls it grace. He says, by grace, you have been saved. Well, saved from what? Saved from our sinful nature. Saved from God's coming wrath. Saved from judgment. Saved from hell. These are the things that God has saved you from. And not only did he save you, he gave you a new identity. And all of these blessings are from his grace. Well, I looked up the word grace this week because I, honestly, I just thought, I want to know what it really means. And in the Greek, it means favor. That's all it means. It just literally means favor. Approval, unusual kindness beyond what's due. And Paul uses chapter one, what we read there in those three verses, to build the foundation of grace. That, that grace, one component of it, is God's sovereignty, God's plan. He's sovereign. He's sovereign over all things. And this is his plan to use us. Another component is the fact that he chose us that he adopted us in his family to be included into his plan. And then the third component of it is his great love, his rich mercy. We didn't deserve it. And I think, in my opinion, to understand grace, you really have to understand it's three parts. Because the concept, it's like grace is like this three-legged stool. It rests on these three legs. Robert, would you show that, please? If we can bring it up here, I wanted to show you a picture that hopefully illustrates this. 
If you can imagine grace like a stool, this is grace. It's God's sovereignty. It's God's choice. It's God's love. Paul used all of these things to help us to understand what grace really is. And in my opinion, if one of those legs is removed from the stool, the whole idea of grace becomes really unbalanced. It takes every part to understand the depth of what grace really is. You know, I I don't know about you, but sometimes I wonder if we've lost the meaning of grace. We hear it so much. It's in every Christian song on the radio. It's in everybody's blog. It's in all kinds of books and magazines. And you know, it, it, grace. It's, to me, it's one of the most overused words in the Christianese language. And we have to be careful not to lose its meaning. We can't forget God chose God had a sovereign plan in all this. He chose us. He gave us his approval when we didn't deserve it. So what's the plan? Well, in verse 6, 7, it says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable of his riches, of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. I mean, God saved you to display you. You know, this blows my mind. It blows my mind because he said, coming ages. And that gets me thinking, what do you mean coming ages? You mean there's going to be more ages than the church age? According to the Bible, there is. And in the coming ages, when we are seated in the heavenly realms, the purpose of us seated in Christ is that all the others will look and see God's number one attribute, his grace. The favor that that we didn't deserve, that he poured out on us. What an awesome, what an awesome honor to be able to display God's greatest attribute. You might say, well, how, does, how do you know, Jason, that he identifies himself with grace? Well, Exodus 34, 5 through, 7, 5 through 7 tells us that he identifies himself as gracious. It says, then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. See, Paul understood that God identified himself as gracious, one who shows divine grace. And for all eternity, God's plan is to be identified by the grace he's shown his people. Isn't that good news this morning? Man, that's encouraging to me. There's a principle here that I want you to get. God reveals himself by the grace he shows to his people. God reveals himself by the grace he shows to his people. You know, I think it's ironic 
that God's people find their identity in him. And yet for all eternity, God will reveal his identity through us. (laughs) It blows my mind. So how are you displaying God's grace in this present age? Are you a gracious person? You know, it's funny, when I started reading this passage this week, how God started challenging me with grace. I put a political sign in my yard, and I came out the next day, and somebody had stole it and put their own political sign in my yard. I got angry. Why? You know, I mean, I, it made me mad. And, and immediately, the Holy Spirit, I mean, said, Jason, grace, grace, forgive them. I went to the grocery store, and we, we, we bought some cans to store up some food, and, and, and the cans were on sale for 99 cents at Dillon's, Progresso Soup, the 19-ounce cans, 99 cents. We bought several of them, about 100 of them. And as, as we're ringing them up, we've noticed that some of them, ring up for $1.80 instead of 99 cents. Brought the manager over and said, hey, these cans rang up for the wrong price. The manager goes over and works on the computer. Well, he cuts our bill by $30. And my wife and I are getting uncomfortable because we're like, man, we know we're Christians. We've got to do the right thing here. we got to tell them, but we don't want to miss out on the blessing. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so she kind of nudges me, you know, I'm thinking, oh, man. okay, okay, okay. I said, sir, you, you know, we bought way more cans than that, and you just cut our bill by $30. And he said, yeah, I know. And immediately the Holy Spirit said, grace. See, God's grace is at work in our life all the time. Sometimes we don't see it, but it's even there when we don't see it. Well, my last division is verses 8 through 10. Grace is a gift that comes through faith. If you look at verse 8, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved. Friends, have been is past tense. It's already done. It is a done deal. When you are born again, you are sealed and saved. Positionally, presently, you are seated in heaven, in Jesus Christ, at God's right hand. Now, if that doesn't blow your mind, whoa, he rescued you. He delivered you. And he promises in 1 Corinthians 1.8 to keep you strong to the very end. You're his child. See, God didn't appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through Jesus Christ. This was his plan for us. And it's through faith. Now, specifically faith in Jesus, not just some random spiritual beliefs or religious dogma. It's simply believing and trusting Jesus. Just like Acts 6.31 says, it says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Not maybe, not might, 
you will be saved. We're saved through our belief. I, I like to think of faith kind of like a garden hose, right? You want to water your yard? There's got to be some way to get the water from the spigot to your yard. So you plug the hose in, turn on the water, and the water goes through the hose, and you're able to water your yard. That's just like faith. Faith is the hose that we connect ourselves to God, and the living water flows through it into our lives. Faith is that tool, that vessel that takes God's promises and, and all of the good things that he has and plugs it into our life. Well, I want you to think for a second. Paul says that by faith and God's favor, you've been delivered from God's wrath, and it is completely through your belief in Jesus Christ. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. But I want you to think about this. Do you understand how controversial this idea would have been to a Jew in Paul's day? How much they would have just hated this idea? They would have thought Paul was a false teacher teaching some kind of heresy. What? Salvation is not by my own works? See, the Jewish people had a very high respect for Moses and for God's law. And for over 1,400 years, the Jews believed that righteousness came from obeying the law. Even Moses says it in Deuteronomy 6.25. He says this, And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he's commanded us, that will be our righteousness. And it was through the law, too, that God made a covenant with the people. Moses said, if you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you as he swore to your descendants. You know, it's kind of like one of the, it, it, it was a bilateral covenant. If they did their part, God would do his part. God said, if you obey me, you're going to be blessed. If you, if you don't obey, you're going to be cursed. This is, how, this is how it is. And Paul believed this too. He was passionate that he could save himself as long as he was zealous enough for God's law. But he found out that wasn't the case. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus and was born again and became a new person. And for 14 years, he, he studied the scripture. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, he found out that this just wasn't true at all, that you could save yourself. It's God's choice whom he saves, and salvation couldn't be earned. Nobody becomes righteous by obeying the law and doing any good works. See, Paul discovered that salvation was a free gift, freely given by God, by God's sovereign choice. He had nothing to do with it. No one could make God show mercy. And I couldn't help believe that these 14 years before Paul set out on his missionary journeys, as he's thinking about what Jesus taught and as he's going through these scriptures, 
He's, he's remembering what Jesus told to the woman at the well. If you knew the gift of God, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Abraham, it was credited, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Hmm. David, David said in Psalms 32, one through two, how blessed it was when God credits righteousness apart from works. So this being saved by grace and this idea of God's gift, Paul just didn't pull it out of a hat and say, hmm, you know what, today I think I'm gonna start a new, uh, a new teaching for the Jewish people and I'm gonna call it grace. This was all through the Old Testament, plus Jesus himself taught it. Well, his conclusion was is that righteousness is a gift. And if it's a gift, it has to be received, not earned. There's nothing, we have nothing to do with it. It's not by human achievement. And thank God for that. Do you know you couldn't save yourself? Do you know that? You couldn't save yourself if you gave 100% effort 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It would still not be enough to be righteous in the sight of God. You can't do it. It's all by grace. It was simply accomplished, or I shouldn't say simply, it was 100% accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross. He did the work. All of it was completed. All of it was finished. And that's good news this morning. There's nothing we can add to it, nothing we can take away from it. He completed it. See, grace and works are mutually exclusive, right? It can't be both. It has to be one or the other. Either it's us or it's God. And I'm telling you this morning, the Bible says it's all God, not us. This is why Paul says, for we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works. You know, this is difficult to believe sometimes. It was difficult for the Jews, and it's still difficult for us. Many in the church still base their salvation on good works and performance. They say it's too easy. You know, I've got to do something, at least one thing, to get God's approval. It's got to be more than just trusting Jesus, right? Nothing is for free. But you don't. You don't have to read your Bible a thousand times before God approves of you. You don't have to witness to 10 people at Walmart before God approves of you. You don't have to do anything. You have his approval in Jesus Christ. And Paul cuts to the heart of the issue. He says, it's not by works so that no one can boast. Isn't that what we like to do? Our sinful nature loves to boast. Mine does. My sinful nature loves to boast. We love to find our security in what we do, how we perform. We love to work hard so we can boast of our accomplishments. Look what I did, see? 
One commentator said, if salvation was the accomplishment of man in any way, we would boast about it. But under God's plan of salvation, God alone gets the glory. Charles Spurgeon said, and if you get to heaven one half by grace and one half by works, you'll for sure say, atonement profited me a little, but integrity profited me much more. You see how our heart, that's our heart. You know, we want to claim it for ourselves. Several years ago, my grandmother had gotten sick and she was in the hospital intensive care at St. Francis. And there was a woman in a room beside her. And my mother had, this woman had been in a coma for several days. She was basically dead. The doctors didn't expect her to wake up. She, she, they were keeping her alive on life support. Well, my mom felt moved by the Holy Spirit to go in and pray over her. And this woman was probably in her 90s. My mother went in and put her hand on her and prayed for her. And the next day, this woman was conscious. And so when my mom went into the hospital and was, she knew it was a miracle. And I went to visit my grandmother and my mom said, hey, you need to go talk to this woman. You need to go tell her about Jesus. And, and, and I said, okay. And so my mother and, and my dad, Dwayne, uh, my stepdad went with me. We, we went together. We went in this room's, woman's room and started to talk to her. And I said, well, I said, we're, we're Christians, and we just want to share Jesus with you. And she started to cry. And she said, I don't want to hurt your faith. And I, it took me back. I said, what? I don't want to hurt your faith. I mean, she just kept on saying this over and over and over. I just said, wait, stop. What do you mean? I was in the fire. The fire? And I baked pies for the Catholic Church. I said, wow, whoa, whoa, hold on a minute. Has anybody ever shared with you that you're saved by grace? And it was like I just took my fist and punched her right in the face. And her mouth dropped wide open and she said, no. I said, Jesus Christ paid for you. He died on that cross to pay for every one of your sin. Every one of your sins. He paid the debt. All you've got to do is believe him. Really? Yes. Would you like to pray and receive Jesus right now as your Savior? Yes, I would. And we prayed, and I have never, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever, I've never seen this again. She prayed, and when, and when I opened my eyes and looked at her, her face was literally glowing. I mean, it was like the Holy Spirit took 25 years off of her. And she just wept. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It was so obvious that this woman who had been a part of a church all of her life, who had been 
been confirmed and baptized and knew all the Bible verses and all the answers and all these things, yet she was earning her way into the kingdom. But yet God chose her. Amen? At the very last part of her life, and I, I lost track of her. I don't know how, I don't know if she, how, how long she lived after that. But I do know this. She went into eternity into the presence of Jesus. I wonder how many people are out there. And I, I, I mean, and, I, and I'm not picking on that denomination. I'm, I have Catholic friends and I love them. I'm not picking on that. That's just what she said to me. It wasn't, that's what, that's her words. I wonder how many people out there who are in the Baptist church, who are in the, who are in the Methodist church, who are in the non-denominational churches, who are in, you name it, are still trying to work their way to be approved by God. And he says, no, it doesn't work like that. It's never worked like that. It is by grace you have been saved.